0: Hey, this is Byron Morrison, author of The Effective CEO, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Wrinkle.
1: Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Wrinkle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today on episode 402 is Byron Morrison. Byron Morrison helps CEOs take control and become more effective in their role so that they maximize their time, lead with confidence, and grow business without losing their sanity. Byron lives in Warwickshire, England, and it's here to talk about his book, The Effective CEO, How to Hone Your Focus, Prioritize Your Time, and Take Control of Your Role. Welcome, Byron. Hey, thanks for having me on today. It's great to be with you. Tell me, when you were growing up, Byron, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? This is probably going to be not the answer that you expect, but I'd
0: Say put probably the greatest influence on my youth my favorite band was Blink on a2 and the singer and guitarist tom DeLong was someone that really shaped who i became everything from since i was about 14 year old to well into my kind of mid-20s he was a huge inspiration and someone who got me into wanting to create music and be creative and look at ideas in different ways And really he was a big part of the reason that then took me down avenues that i found inspiration in my own work i think that's a big part of the way- reason why i started writing because growing up i spent a lot of time writing songs and lyrics and all of that then came in handy when I started creating videos and writing books. A lot of people would expect me to say some big kind of CEO or entrepreneur or business leader, but coming from a musical background, I'd actually say he's probably the person who's had the biggest impact on who I've become.
1: Was there anyone in your family who was also into bands or performing or even just mastering a musical instrument that gave you that entree into the band? Or was it something you just picked up as a teenager that you really liked this band and this guitarist? A bit of both. My parents were both into music. There was just something
0: that at that age I just got really passionate about or something that was a big interest of mine and spent a lot of time going to shows. I was very fortunate that my dad was really supportive in that. He'd spend far too much time driving me around to different concerts and taking me to see different bands and really encouraging that. I've got him to thank a lot as well for just kind of nurturing and kind of pushing me on that.
1: What was a particular idea other than being creative and Believing in your own creativity that you could write songs and lyrics based upon what Tom DeLong was doing? What were some activities or characteristics that you also adopted because he had an influence on you at that age? I think a lot of it was just seeing the world in a different light. I'd say the majority of people are stuck
0: in a mold of the way that life has to be. It's that whole thing of kind of grow up, get a job, go to work, pay your bills, and accept that's the way that life has to be. And kind of growing up in that music scene, it was very much kind of pushing the boundaries of wanting to be different, wanting to find a different style of life and kind of way of thing. That's something that to this day in running and building a business, I find myself and a lot of entrepreneurs, it's a key trait and characteristic they have because you don't want to be shackled to the nine to five. You want to have freedom. You want to do something on your terms. You want to be creative and change the world. It's having that belief that actually more is possible and really pushing the boundaries of what other
1: people accept the way that things have to be. So true. When you follow someone who's a successful guitarist, musician, someone in a band, and you see that they attract all these people to their concerts and buy their albums, you see that there's proof that you really can chart your own course. Is that something you remember thinking? It's, yes, I can do this. If they're doing it, I can do it. hundred percent. I think
0: that's the mentality that's really served me in business as well. A lot of people I find become their own worst enemy. They've got a big vision and dream of what they want to do, but they talk themselves out of it. Oh, I'm not going to make it happen. I've just always had this belief that if I put my mind to it, I'll find a way. And that's not ignorance or the amount of failures and mistakes and things I've had along the way have been more than I can count. It's just because having that drive of, we'll figure it out. And that also plays into why I love working with a lot of the people I work with, because it's just not accepting that things have fallen apart, just having that mentality that there's always a way to put it back together or to really push forward. Because if you want to change the world or do something that matters, you're going to have to go all in and really push yourself to grow is a mentality that really separates those who going back to the accepting the nine to five life and being
1: kind of stuck in that world from those who then actually go on to create the life that they want. Let's talk about What your intent was when you wrote the book, in a sentence or two, what was the impact you wanted to have when you started to write The Effective CEO? At the time when I started planning that book out,
0: just to give you an overview, when I'm working with clients, we essentially focus on three different areas. We focus on their mindset, as in how they're really feeling about themselves, their confidence, their intuition. We focus on their emotional control and how they're dealing with the stress, pressure and overwhelm that comes with building a business because I see a lot of CEOs who struggle prioritizing what to get done, their workload seems like something they can't manage, they don't know how to approach or structure their days. As a result, they spend most of their time either in busy work, reactive problems or on tasks that don't actually drive the business forward. There's a stepping stone that for me was a really great opportunity to show someone how to amplify their performance so they can step up and really become a more effective CEO. That was why that in combination with my other book, Seeing Own Control. They almost work in like a 2 pattern. One's on the performance side, one's on the mindset then needed to execute on it. Yeah, just was something I was having a lot of fun with at the time. I was doing it for a lot of working clients and it just seemed like a natural progression to write the book, to pass on a lot of those lessons.
1: What's interesting is that nobody goes to school to become a CEO coach. How did you find that this was a niche that you had value to offer? Was there a first client that you worked with or did you pursue someone because you saw that you could help them based upon tools and skills you had owned in some other area or practice. How did that evolution take place? To be honest, I
0: actually kind of fell into it. After my dad's cancer, I went on this big journey of transformation. I turned my own life around and I took everything I learned and wrote my first best best-selling book, Become a Better You. Off the back of that, I then started my business. I was working with people from around the world to get their life and health under control and things were growing and taking off. Truth be told, I had no clue what I was doing. Even though I had a master's in business. So I was completely in over my head when it came to running and growing a company. I found myself in a situation where I was overwhelmed. I was stretched thin and completely burnt out because my business felt like a huge mental and emotional drain. At that point, I knew that it just wasn't sustainable. I couldn't carry on that way. So I dedicated myself to learning everything I could about mindset, psychology, managing people, handling conflict, everything else in between where it comes to really actually performing in the role of a CEO. So I turned my own life and business around. A lot of the clients that I was working, with on their kind of health side of it were business owners and entrepreneurs and CEOs. As we started looking at the, some of the challenges that were coming in, they were storing off their kind of sleep and their energy and everything else. We started diving into some of the problems they were facing. I just found naturally that my coaching started to pivot in the direction of tackling those problems. I saw from that, not only was I very good at it, it was also the thing that I enjoyed most. So it just became a natural progression for me to shift the business into focusing on CEOs, really
1: get under control of the challenges that I faced when I was struggling on my own. So if if, if I think about this, what I imagine is that you took a look around and said, I'm going to now start focusing on CEOs because it looks like I've fallen into it having worked with people who are business leaders and senior managers and CEOs. And now I'm going to start messaging. I'm going to start attracting and start prospecting for them. What was the first time since you changed focus for reaching out to CEOs? Who was the first one you worked with? And what were they struggling with that really responded to what you were putting out? One of the first people that comes to mind was a guy he was actually initially
0: starting with some of my older coaching, what we were doing, and we started transitioning it. He was actually a client based in the UK called Matthew. He was running a small advertising agency. He had a team of about 15 people, and he was just having a lot of problems with staff not getting on board. They weren't following through. He didn't know how to effectively delegate. And because of it, he was just completely burnt out trying to do everything on his own. We really needed to start putting processes in place to hand things off, to start trusting people around him, to start giving him the confidence to let go and start actually trusting his team to step up. He's one of the first people that comes to mind. But throughout that period, there were so many kind of entrepreneurs that I worked with along the way. It's difficult, to be honest, to kind of put it in on one person. That was my turning point because it was something that essentially happened over a three-year
1: period where we started adapting things. Understandable. Tell me, with Matthew, when he started working with you and making some gains, What were some of the differences that showed up in the way that he was able to lead his team so that they did change things with the way that they were handling it in the agency. For him it was really understanding what his lag
0: indicators are because a lot of people don't realize that when you're a CEO and running a business, your entire life influences everything you do. It's only natural when you're that passionate about where you're going and what you're working on. That just takes over. For a lot of CEOs, because of that, they'll find that their relationships suffer, suffer, their health takes a backseat, they don't look after themselves. What they don't realize is because they're neglecting those areas of their life, a direct directly affects everything from their sleep to their connection to those around them how they feel about themselves and then that energy directly impacts their performance and their role so it's very much we have to look holistically at everything going on in someone's life because if you're at work and all you can think about is what's going on at home and how you're having problems in your marriage it's going to directly impact the decisions you make and the actions you take on the other side of that if you're at home and you're feeling guilty about the fact that you're not working it's going to make you then not have the relationships that you want and it's all going to come crashing down he was a have example of someone who was burnt out from doing too many hours and pushing himself too hard as he neglected his personal life. We had to find ways to find that balance and really integrate the line, the two
1: areas, so that he could get them both under control. What you've described is something that I think a lot of managers are experiencing in the last couple of years with the lockdown, working from home, balancing the responsibilities of work with the responsibilities of home or getting their children to learn remotely when that was taking place. What is it that makes makes it unique about the challenges of a CEO role are particularly best met and served by the approach that you offer? What is it about the responsibilities and role that makes it different from, say, a marketing manager or someone who does customer service? Because they also have to have their help at the top level so that they can focus on their work when they're at work and focus on their family and relationships when they're out of work. The big difference is when you're a CEO and running a business, everything
0: rests on you. While someone can, in a say, a marketing manager job with me example used could finish their job at nine five and then walk away and go back to life as a ceo your mind never switches off you're always thinking about problems or fires or things that need to get done and that workload is never ending there's always going to be more that you could be doing this is why i find a lot of ceos will end up working 60 70 80 hour weeks and they'll still feel like they're not doing enough because there's more things they need to get done this is why we really have to put the right boundaries and processes in place to get someone to break that cycle if someone listening to this right now is struggling with this, the best advice I could give you is to stop relying on traditional approaches to finding work-life balance because they just don't work. How many times have you said to yourself, oh, I'm going to make it to the gym later or I'm going to take some time off for a date night? Then your day gets away from you and today turns into tomorrow then the next day. It's just this never-ending cycle. That's why the way I talk about in the book about approaching it is we turn it on a time for exercise, time with your family, time for hobbies, whatever that may be. We schedule those first. We start building your life around the things that actually matter, then we start actually building them in your schedule in a way that you do them the same as you would as a meeting with your most important client. That unless the building's on fire, you wouldn't cancel it. This goes back to some of the key principles of the book of really figuring out your energy and how you structure your days is in alignment with everything else. Let's say you have date night with your wife tonight. If you schedule a board meeting right before that has a tendency to run over, you're just setting yourself up to fail. That's why you need to take that step back and really think about, okay, these are things are important to you. What do you then build around that? When you're setting up your day, how do you put it up in a way that it's structured around your energy and your state of flow? Because if you're just, the same example of, let's say you have a really intense board meeting. If you then schedule straight after that, you're going to work on a really detailed report. Mentally, you're going to be fried. Your bandwidth isn't going to be there. And it's going to have diminishing returns where something that could take 20 minutes takes two hours. If you want to be an effective CEO, you have to start approaching this in a way where you're thinking at a higher level, where you're taking a step back and be really, figuring out where's your energy at best use? Where are you in a state of flow? What are the things that are actually important to you? And how do you then build
1: everything around that? I think that for myself and others who are listening to this, we're saying this sounds obvious from the outside. Can you share an example of somebody who came in and thought they had it all figured out? But when you actually broke down and analyzed how they were structuring their week, their month, their quarter, it really was out of alignment with what was going to help them be more effective. What are two or three changes they made in order to to flip it around so that it became a more structured and supportive schedule based upon their values and their business objectives. Yeah. A perfect example of that was one of my first time CEO clients, Jason, who's based
0: in Silicon Valley over in the States. He was running a tech startup. They had about 35 employees. They were looking to scale and grow to 150. But he found himself in a situation where he was just stretched thin by everything that needed to get done. The way he was trying to approach his days was to use the traditional productivity advice where he would create a to-do list, to figure out the most important things that needed to get done, then he would dive into it. And on paper, that sounds like great advice because why wouldn't you create a to-do list and then prioritize what seemed most important? But as a CEO, it's actually a terrible way to approach your days. The reason being is it's too short-sighted because a lot of the time those important tasks will be be on short-term fires that'll come at the expense of your long-term visions and priorities for him the problem he was having was at that time they were going through a period of fundraising his biggest focus as a ceo was he needed to bring investment he needed to do presentations to make sure they could extend their runway and actually bring in more income into the business but because he was approaching his days in a way that he was focusing on his to-do list and top priorities he would essentially dive into fires and other people's problems and daily demands come 4 p.m if he was lucky he would maybe get an hour to then focus on fundraising, which not only if he didn't get that, they wouldn't have a business to support, but the worst part was by the time he got to it, his energy and focus were completely drained. That was why for him, we needed to turn on its head. We needed to figure out when was he in a state of flow. That was nine until 12 every single day. That was when he was highly creative. He could execute on these tasks and actually get them done. We set up a way of structuring his days where nine till 12, Monday to Friday were blocked off, where that was all he did. He focused on fundraising dealing with investors and actually bringing money into the business. Only after that, he would then have lunch and then he would come back to his to-do list and everything else that needed to get done. So he could have it both ways. He could focus on the bigger picture and still get the kind of in the weeds, everyday tasks and responsibilities that he needed to do as
1: well. It goes back to that point of figuring out what's most important and scheduling that first. That's a great illustration of how this works. Many CEOs and managers who work for them would say, how long did that last? What is it that helps someone not not only get through that period, but to implement that review process and time blocking in a way that lasts and becomes a regular fixture in their work style so that it's not just a temporary fix, but it becomes a long lasting solution. For me, the big thing that makes it last is you
0: just seeing how big of an impact it has. Because if you do that for several months and you stop doing it, and then you see all of a sudden your day starts falling apart, you're highly reactive and all over the place. That's a testament that you need to go back to what you were doing, which really comes down to proper planning. You'd be amazed at how many CEOs I speak to who tell me that they're so busy they don't have time to plan. I'd argue that they're the ones who need it the most because a few minutes of planning can save you hours of lost time or focusing on tasks that don't matter. I find with clients I work with, they get back under control anything from five to fifteen hours a week. I had clients take back over twenty five hours of lost time every week by just getting focused on the right processes and routines in place. So it's just all about someone seeing okay this actually works. I'm performing at a higher level. I'm getting more done. These are the non-negotiables that I need to follow through with and just being really strict and doing it. Once you start building the right habits, that makes it easier. It's all about the individual figuring out, okay, these are the key things I need to do every single week that keeps me at my best. The way I approach this with clients as well is everyone's different. So what works for you may not work for me. So we need to figure it out on an individual level, what it gets that person performing at their best. Then I create with them what I call a high performance checklist. So these are the habits and behaviors that they're doing when they're performing at their best that they know if they follow through with these is going to maximize what they can get done. Then with that checklist in place, say six months down the road, they fall off track. They're feeling overwhelmed. They're stressed. They're not getting many things done. Rather than having to figure out, okay, what's going wrong here? They can go back to that checklist and be like, okay, this is what I was doing when I was performing at my best. What if I let go of? Then they can just be like, oh, I haven't been planning. I haven't been getting up on time. I haven't been doing that. And they know immediately what they need to reintegrate to get back to that level, we need to figure that out and then have
1: something that actually allows them to order, keep it in focus. That it actually becomes a diagnostic tool that they could use themselves and look at it and say, I feel low energy if I get less than seven hours sleep. How many hours sleep did I get over the last few nights? Wow, that's not a good trend. I've only been getting five or six hours. That's a part of it. They could just go through the list. Could you contrast maybe two of the people you've worked with that have very different checklists so that others who are listening can say, oh, it doesn't have to be just one way. Here's an example of one entrepreneur. Here's an example of another CEO. And they have very different items on their checklist. I've got a
0: guy at the moment who is growing a tech firm, kind of a SaaS business in Israel. And for him, he is actually getting into a point where he's working on different time zones. So their team's expanding, but also he himself is actually having to operate at a point where he's only starting his day at 1 p.m. because he's trying to work on American time zone. In the past, he was feeling really guilty of the fact that he wasn't getting up at 6 a.m. and joining the 5 a.m. club. He was just feeling really guilty about that. He's now had to pivot and adjust and set new expectations for himself for the point that he can come to terms with dying his day at 1 p.m. is okay because he's not finishing work till 2 a.m. because of the different time zones. Whereas a different client, one of my guys called Jason, he's at a point where he can get up at 5 a.m. because for him, his kids wake up at seven. He knows if by getting up at five, he can then follow through with kind of his morning meditation. He can ease into his day. He can take some time for himself because past 7 a.m., everyone's demanding things from him, whether it's his team, his family, everything else. He doesn't have time for himself. His checklist is okay. Two hours from five to seven, it's the time that he eases into his day. He plans what needs to get done. He takes things slow because that keeps him calm and grounded. That's why when I say what works for one person may not work for another because it depends very much what time zone or your team on. If you're working in a global business with people from around the world, maybe you need to integrate meetings across kind of different regions. It can be very difficult. I find this is where a lot of people get in their own way because they try and compare themselves to someone else. and They're like, oh, that person's doing this. If I can't follow the same process, I'm failing. No, you need to figure out what works for you because there's thousands of ways you can approach it. And it's all about figuring, okay, what makes you feel good? What gets the most out of your performance? And what can you actually stick to? this the best plan on paper is meaningless if you can't follow through with it long term?
1: I completely agree with that. The example is really strong. Entrepreneurs have this realization as they're in the CEO role and it's never just one realization that helps make the breakthrough. It's really a journey or an evolution. I know that you use that language in your book and in the work that you do with the CEOs and business leaders who come to you. Tell me your interpretation of what it means to be on a leadership journey and what are some of the milestones that people could look to in order to see them making progress on this leadership journey? The biggest thing for me is really recognizing that
0: what made you who you are today isn't going to help you become who you're meant to be tomorrow. A lot of people become stuck because they rely on the same level of thinking, habits, behaviors and beliefs that got them to where they are and it simply doesn't help them keep up with their current level of success. I see with a lot of the people that I work with, this inevitably actually causes them to become the bottleneck in the business because they're thinking is their old version of themselves. That's why the core of the foundation of the work I do in clients, the first thing that we focus on is who is it they need to become, who is that next level version of them who's showing up powerfully, who's making better decisions, who's effectively leading their team. Because when we get that clarity, that's when we can reverse engineer the journey. We can figure out the exact habits, behaviors, routines, beliefs, non-negotiables they need to embody and take on to get them to where they want to be. Then the focus is all about who do they need to become to create the results in life that they want. I think that's such a powerful question that every single one of us really need to stop thinking about because I found one of the biggest reasons people don't achieve their goals is they focus too much on where they're trying to get to and not enough on who they need to become in order to turn it into a reality because when you know that you can then create a plan to close the gap and then you can then put the right practices in place to really track the journey so going back to your question for me it's all about really monitoring along the way what progress does someone make what transitions do they go through what are the things that really show that they progress because if you can't track it then it's not going to really challenge someone or get them to see the complete overview of where they're actually going that's why i'm a big believer that we need to have regular periods where we stop and reflect on our actual progress what worked what did In what have we achieved, and what lessons can we take away from that? Because that's really where the growth comes in, and really taking the time to audit and figure out what
1: journey have you gone on, and then how do you then use that to push yourself to the next level? Byron, let me flip it for a moment and talk not about one of your clients, but yourself. What is some way that you've become a better version of yourself just in the last two years, say, that you looked ahead two years ago and said, I need to add these skills, these beliefs, these practices in order to become successful in the future. And it's something that you committed to very specifically and you tracked it for yourself. Can you share one or two of those with me? Yeah. The big one for me
0: is looking ahead in where I'm going business-wise and what the impact I want to create. I'm very aware of the fact that I need to keep pushing myself to to uh, become The best in my field with my own expertise. In order to do that, I set aside time and made a commitment that I need to have time every single day for personal development, whether it's doing courses, reading books, understanding how the way that people think, manage others, and everything else when it comes to being an effective leader. So that has become a non negotiable with me because it then allows me when I'm working with clients to go in and have new perspectives and ideas and way of approaching problems, understanding that if I want to actually build a business that changes the world and helps people. The highest level. I've got to be practicing what I preach and constantly growing and evolving myself. Another one. This is actually probably going back a few years before that was understanding the importance of exercise because I saw someone who used to be fifty pounds overweight and didn't look after himself and was just burnt out, and really not in a good place physically. Once I got my health on track, I saw how much of a non-negotiable that needed to be in order to get me feeling my best. So even though that's a firm habit of mine now where I work out and train six days a week, a decade ago, it definitely wasn't. So that's something that's going back a little bit further that I've really had to integrate and continue doing. So I think it's all about just looking ahead again to that thing, question of who do you need to become to create the life that you want, and then use that in your decision-making and how you really approach your days to figure out the
1: non-negotiables that are going to get you to where you are or get you to where you want to beer Byron, are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round go for it. all right we're gonna do this together i'm gonna to ask you when you were growing up what is a song that you loved as a teenager Oh, that's a tough one. The first
0: song that ever got me massively into music was All the Small Things by Blink One A Two. That was kind of the first kind of song that got me into wanting to write and play music. I'd go with that one. Do you remember any
1: a, a lyric that stands out? How did it go? And we actually listened to that on Saturday night. Uh, oh, my mind's got blank here for a moment. You've talked about the importance of personal development. What is a book that you look back on that changed your perspective or really helped you advance in your own personal development? What would you name as one or two books? The first book that I ever read in the
0: personal development space was Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. That was my kind of first diving into understanding the way that we think and the way that we view the world and how much we can actually empower ourselves. I'm also a big fan of Brendan Burchard. High Performance Habits was a big kind of integral one of kind of also gave me to kind of look at the importance of habits and the way we approach our days and
1: just understanding what it takes to perform at our best. If you look back on the last year, what would you say is a habit, belief or routine? that you've stopped that brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? That's a really tough one. I'd say for the last couple of years, I've really
0: had my kind of routines dialed in because over the last kind of 10 years of doing what I do, I've got very strict with kind of what I do and how I approach my days. I'd actually say probably what something that's more flipping it around or something that's been more beneficial to my life is adding in kind of daily meditation and taking time to actually be put my thoughts at ease. Like one of my old tendencies was in the morning to take dive straight into work too quickly and just wanting to have things underway. So it's taking a few minutes in the morning to really kind of sit and be still and kind of allow my mind to kind of ease into the day and starting with a brief meditation period to actually allow me to actually transition for
1: what's ahead. Fabulous. Byron, you've been so helpful in sharing with us today on my quest for the best. I want to thank you for the ideas you shared, starting with the guitarist that inspired you time long, because everyone looks back and realizes that music helped unlock a particular aspect of our creativity and inspired us to think of ourselves in new ways. Sharing with us examples, like with Matthew, who had the ad agency, people were burned out. They weren't following processes, and it led to a lot of burnout and ineffective work. And by working with you, was able to make a transition. The reminders you gave about starting with what matters and how if those don't make personal development a priority, they become the bottleneck in their own business. For these reasons and so many more, I want to thank you again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks for having me on. Byron, before we say goodbye for now, where if we find out more about you and your work online? The best places to get a hold of me are either my
0: website, byronmorrison.com, or you can find me on TIN or Facebook if you search for Byron Morrison. On LinkedIn, primarily, I post daily content, put out videos and Everything else was either on how to become a more effective CEO, connect with me on there and kind of follow what I do and get in touch.
1: Once again, Byron Morrison, author of The Effective CEO, I want to thank you for joining me on my quest for the best. Thanks. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com.